I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We don't ask, do you want to have children? It's like, when are you having kids? Which just automatically puts that assumption that, oh, well, you should be. And if you're not, it's a problem. What is going on? Hello, welcome to Figuring Out 30. This is the podcast where we explore the chaos, confusion, and clarity of turning 30. My name's Bridget Hustwaite, and I'm actually about to zip off to Darwin for the first time. I'm heading there with Tourism NT for a few days, which I'm so excited. I'm so excited to check out Darwin, and I'm really keen to leave this cold weather in Melbourne and embrace some sweet, sweet humidity. So I'll tell you more about the trip when I'm back next week. I'm kind of in the midst of packing, but for now, we are going to get stuck into this episode, which I recorded with someone who really needs no introduction, but you bet I'm going to gas her up because she is a true superstar. I am, of course, talking about Laura Henshaw. She is the co-founder and CEO of Kick, formerly known as Keep It Cleaner, but they've just rebranded within the last week. And the reason for this was to, you know, reflect their inclusive mission of redefining wellness and embracing balance and rejecting toxic diet culture, which is something that we do touch on in this conversation because Laura and I were, yeah, exposed to a lot of similar things as we entered adulthood. One being skinny me tea. Does anyone fucking remember that thing? Uh, We talk about it and we go into like the unhealthy lengths that we and our friends would go to because wellness really did mean something different back then and it essentially just meant skinny. So if if you listen to Laura's podcast with her bestie and business partner Steph Claire Smith, you would know how open they've both been with this kind of stuff and they share a lot of their lessons in their empowering new book which is called You Take Care. So we unpack the creation of that book and the writing process as well as navigating expectations in our 30s and how comparison has popped up throughout her life in terms of family, relationships, leadership. Um, We almost got into a fuck, marry, kill situation too. So (laughs) that was something. But Laura is so easy to talk to. You can like 100% just hear her smile, which is the best. And it felt like a nice little hangout. So I hope it feels like that for you. Um, So come and join us in Figuring Out 30. Laura Henshaw, welcome to Figuring Out 30. Thanks for joining me. Hi, I'm so excited to chat to you. I'm excited too. And it's fun for me to be able to interview you because you and Steph have done it for me. Um, and We this, did it on Zoom. We did. And that was kind of in the cloud of, of lockdowns and we were all doing it remotely. What was the setup for you guys when you started Kick? Like, were you doing it from home anyway? We, was it full DIY effort? With the podcast? Yeah. So we actually had, we were in a studio and then we went into COVID for obviously lockdown for such a long time being yeah. in Melbourne. And we started, rec- it was so funny because we have this roadcaster thing, which you have for your podcast, yeah. which is like, if you, if you start a podcast and you're like, I want to get this like professional podcast equipment, I feel like it's the 
thing. It yeah. is expensive, but it's like the you feel like you're professional once you have this because it has all these colored buttons. Feels extremely legit. Exactly. Anyway, so we had that, and then one time because we were recording with a lot of guests through through Zoom, obviously, because mm. it's the only way we could record. And what we were doing was getting the guests to have their headphones in so we could hear them through Zoom, and then asking them to put their phone because not everyone had a professional That's microphone. Right. I recorded on this on voice memo, on voice note, or something, and that was our audio. For seven, we just didn't use microphones like two years, and then we'd Dropbox it over, and then you'd use that and <laughs> like link it up. Edit well, it because you weren't really putting the video podcast. Like there the was video, no video there; yeah. it was just just the audio. Isn't that funny? Just like the hoops you kind of jump through. Like it can be such a process just to get audio. But it's also that we did it through our iPhones, and it was like it was fine. And like of course now we're with like we're, we're with listener, like yeah. the audio quality is better, a hundred percent. But truly, from when we were using like my our own microphones to the the um, phone, it wasn't even that different. But I think it's just in it, like just if people want to start something, just start. You don't need to have the fancy. You don't things to start because we were recording through our iPhones. I love that. Yes. Oh my god, started <laughs> from the bottom. Now we're here. <laughs> Do you remember like what the first episode was? Because I always think about if I listen back to my first um, radio show on Triple J and just the difference in how I present an interview and it's extremely fucking cringe to listen back to what I was like seven years ago. Do you remember like your first one? Oh, you, yes. What you would have sounded like? <laughs> I honestly can't. I, it was an hour and we spoke about the kick journey and we had not we got it down. Yes. Oh, my God. So <laughs> nervous. And we had not got it down pat to being concise and being good, I would say, I'm speaking for myself, but in terms of good storytelling, had well, no idea how to do it. format, right? So difficult. So that was the first episode. And then we, all of our episodes were interviews. We very rarely did episodes, just the two of us. Oh, yeah. Because we now we have a producer, it helps a lot. It's very hard to not. Like when we first started um, with Listener, we got feedback from Sam Cavanaugh, who's fantastic. And he was like, loved this segment. It w- but you spoke for 25 minutes, like could have been five. <laughs> we were like, that word we didn't economy. Anyone to be like, stop, like this is, you've done, you've done your bit, right? Yeah. But um, I, when we did our interviews, interviewing people, especially as a duo, well, for interviewing is hard because we were used to being interviewed, but not interviewing. Yeah. And it is a, to- it is actually so difficult. So and I feel different. like now I'm much more comfortable with it. But our podcast was very much like literally asking a question and then waiting for them to answer. And then because we would like divvy the questions up at the start, there wasn't a lot of conversation in between or flowing, like allowing the conversation to go where right. it needed to. It was so like if you wanted to follow flesh the out something, yeah. It was, I don't recommend anyone goes back and listens to I think <laughs> the early good. episodes. No, I can't listen to them. It's good for you as like your own little personal air check to see how much you've developed so and to know those things. Because I think with people who do listen and who don't dive into podcasting, you always want it to sound effortless and natural, but it's also it's like content creation and I feel like people speak poorly of influencers because they're like it's so easy no it's because they know how to make it look easy it's like a a lot it's very time consuming and to an extent strategic but it's not easy but they have that skill of making it look easy and the same is for podcasting 100% but it's also practice because when we first started Steph and I had never podcasted before we hadn't interviewed I reckon I'd interviewed three people in my life (laughs) one of them being my grade six school project so it wasn't something (laughs) we'd done before right and we didn't but we didn't let that stop us from doing it because now when we 
we look back and where we built the podcast to, it's like we're, we're so proud of it. But and we're much better at it now. But we weren't when we started because we had. It's like anything. If you go on a basketball court, you never played basketball before. You can't expect to be amazing at somewhere. it. And I remember in the early days, we we got like quite a few reviews. And Steph doesn't read them. She's very good. She always tells me off for reading them. But I'm like. I always end up, yeah, it's a bad place to go because it's anonymous. So often they're horrible anyway. But what a lot of people said at the start was like, oh, I really like what you do. I hate it when people start, when they start their criticism with it. Like, I really like this, but it's like, okay, this is going to be the worst one. (laughs) Just get straight (laughs) to it. But I have to share this to you. But what they would say is like, you just don't really know how to podcast or you're not really interviewers stick to what you know and it was a lot of stick to what you know and I think it's just to reflect on that we had a choice we could have said oh no it hasn't been received that well oh people we're not good at it we're just going to stop but instead we're like no we're not good at it because we haven't had practice um and it takes time like everything we can't be good at things when we but I think it's it's interesting I think social media makes us feel like Everyone knows how to do everything like from the second they yeah. try it for the first time, but it's absolutely not the case. You guys are doing great. And this will be, well, I mean, it's already a great chat, but we can look how much we've learned as podcasters, right? Well, you're a professional. When we yeah, were warming up, is different to you were doing this like, what? do it, do it. What, yeah. one, two? <laughs> one for you. <laughs> <laughs> my mic test? <laughs> one, two, one, two. Because the worst part is But it was technology. with the rhythm because I'm like, one, two, three, four. And you're like, one, two, one, two. <laughs> <laughs> Sound checking. Oh, it's habit. It's habit. It. But let's get into, I guess, the core of this conversation, which is life in our 30s, because you have recently joined the 30 Club. Yes. Welcome and congratulations. Thank you. It's very fun. Um, I want to start with expectation versus reality, which is pretty much just winding back to baby Laura growing up and thinking about where you wanted to be by the age of 30 versus the reality of your life at that point. So what did you envision for yourself by the time you reached 30? Oh, what did I envision? I envisioned that I would have, in my head, I was going to have my first child at 27 I had no clue that like there's things like fertility your fertility your partner's fertility other things that play into it aside from the fact it was just like this is the age and this is what it was right so I had I thought I'd have by the time I was 30 I thought I would have two kids I thought I'd be married which I am but but like if I wasn't wouldn't matter yeah and I would ha- be a lawyer. A what lawyer. I would be. Okay. I, I went through a lot of. I thought I was going to be the prime minister at, at one. I mean, you <laughs> could be. No, absolutely you'd be not. Very. You'd absolutely. be like just entitled. No, absolutely very not. <laughs> That's very kind of me. <laughs> horrible at it. Uh, I want to be her. By the way. Oh, that would be amazing. Uh, I would, yeah, I'd subscribe. I do really love. She's she's incredible. Mm. But anyway, I yes, yeah, so I, I thought I would. But I think the main thing when I think of what I thought my life would be was around kids and kind of that idea of that. When we're younger, that kind of thing that we're sold, I think it's definitely a misconception because we can do whatever we want with our lives and our journey. Some people might start a business with their 60 or they might have kids later, whatever. It's like your journey, whatever you want to do. But it's kind of this thing that we're told we need to finish school, go to university, get a job, find a partner, get married, have a kid, own a house. Like that's what society tells us is like success. But that – and will bring us in quotation marks joy and happiness. But Mm -hmm. that's obviously – as we get older, we learn that's absolutely not the case. And we don't have to do any of those things and we don't have to do them in that order. When did you make that kind of realisation? Was it throughout your 20s that you're like, hang on? Was it maybe around the time you were 27 and you're like, oh, I don't have a kid around this time, which I thought, and then maybe thinking about everything else that was happening? Well, it's interesting because I think 
at yeah, at 27, I was like, oh, I, I could not imagine myself with a kid right now. Like, I can't. Like, I'd just, I don't even know how to look after my, my dog. At that stage, you only have one dog. That would be so hard. Like, you don't get sleep and I don't, how would that even work right now? I just couldn't, I was like, I couldn't imagine it. But it's really interesting because I feel like when we're younger, especially around children or having children, we think that before it's so interesting before like I don't know whatever age is for people for me it was maybe 25 if I had fallen pregnant before then I would have been like oh my, I was scared of it like it would ruin it and it doesn't of course ruin your life like you make it work you make decisions based on what you need to do but for me at that age I was I was so scared of it mm. so you go from being like avoidant of oh that would be the worst thing that could happen to then all of a sudden being told then like between 25 and 30 you're now in your fertile window and it is running out and we have a biological clock and like by the time I mean we've spoken about this off mic by the time you're 34 I think you're considered a geriatric pregnancy which is so crazy yeah and it's like at that time it doesn't feel like long at all it's like this it goes so quick like a sliding door moment where you don't it doesn't feel like there's a transition into oh when will I be ready I'm gonna I have time to think about it etc it's like you go from trying to avoid it to like oh my god this is actually something I have to consider right now because of like biology Mm. um and it's quite confronting it's so confronting. So now where you're at a few months into 30, you're – wait, did you – you did graduate from law, right? I did. I, I did finish it. I yeah. did. Yeah, okay, I did. so I she did. got her degree. You're a businesswoman, entrepreneur. Like, did you ever imagine owning a fucking business? Like, no. And of this, um, of <laughs> no. this scale? <laughs> Absolutely not. I think – I mean, when we first – when Steph and I first started Kick back in 2015 with an e-book, we had – you know, we wanted to make healthy eating more accessible and easier and just bring back to basics. But that's kind of the extent of it. We thought, let's try this out. Never in my wildest dreams did I think that it would become what. And even it's interesting; it's not even in my wildest dreams. Like if I thought of, oh, imagine what this could become. It was never like as not big even as it is now, which yeah. is like it's amazing that that has happened. But absolutely not. I, I truly, I thought I'd be like a lawyer or whatever it, it might be, not running a business. And I think too, it's like even with being a business leader, like I took the um, transitioned into the role of CEO about maybe uh, almost two years ago now. And even that's been interesting because it's like even thinking about kind of 20s and 30s, I feel like I would so often lean back on the excuse that, oh, I'm, you know, I'm in my 20s, I'm inexperienced, I, you know, I, I don't need to know how to do this or it's okay that I'm super inexperienced, etc. But then all of a sudden you're 30 and you're like, hang on. When I was 20, I looked at 30-year-olds. I was like, wow, they knew everything yeah. and they, you know, were super experienced, et cetera, et cetera. And now you're here and it's like it doesn't feel like – that at all no how old do you feel I I do feel 30 like in my body and myself but then I feel like in terms of my other side of me I feel like I'm still in my 20s like I still I I mean obviously I'm an adult (laughs) we're adults (laughs) (laughs) maybe we're adults but you still sometimes like facing like live doing things like remembering to pay bills and like all of that stuff adulting is really difficult and you do every now and then want to be like oh, I just <laughs> I just want to get mum to do it for me and Literally. I want to be 18 again were you dreading 30 like when you were getting to those days approaching your birthday were you like thinking about you know this new decade I mean like oh my god am I going to change all of a sudden like what were your thoughts I wasn't dreading it I would say but I think I was more so it was more just like oh my god I'm actually 30 and then I think I think in decades I don't know why it's a weird way to think but then I was like oh my god then my next birthday is 40 yeah and like what 
I think it's just that fear of, and it's interesting because I think if people would look externally from at my life and I would assume like by societal standards in quotation marks say that I'm successful in terms of like work and whatever. Mm-hmm. But I, when I am in my life, I have got, I think about it as I've got so much more to do. And like, I just, I haven't even scraped the surface in terms of like, even in terms of my own development in my job, et cetera, like where I need to be and where I want to be and how much more I have to learn. And I think it's more of a thing of, we don't have as much time mm. as we think. And obviously, like, I hope we both live to 100. So we've both got about <laughs> 70 years left on this nice. wor- in this world. Yeah. But it's actually not that much time. When you mentioned about you and Steph starting Kick in, like, 2015, one thing that I was really keen to talk to you about was that kind of time in life and growing up, at, you know, in the same age, essentially. And you know, the reasons that you guys have launched Kick and to see like the beast that it is now. I mean, you just launched this, you know, kicking the rules and breaking down all these wellness trends that we all were consuming and that really just influenced our life Mm. and in probably a not great way. And I wanted to get your experience because I know you come from a modelling background too, but I think back to that time, 2015, even more so probably 2013 and 2014 is a really toxic time. I remember Skinny Me Tea. I just remember that was the launch of Instagram. And I just remember for me growing up at that time, I did feel really shit about my body. And I know there was a great, I don't want to say trend, but there was definitely a shift in, you know, it's cool to be healthy and fit and stuff but I think there were definitely some channels and platforms that took it to an unhealthy level um I mean I had so many friends that shat themselves at uni oh my god because of the tea okay so I would go this is so bad I remember going to like an Asian grocer in Ballarat and getting like the oolong tea and you'd have it and it would literally make me just shit my life away and it would be just to clean out everything and to feel lighter. And it was terrible and it would really, my stomach would hurt so much. But I just, yeah, think of those drastic measures. So you were surrounded by that. How can you describe your Oh, it is. Oh my God. It's when we actually think back on it, it's, I mean, it's good because you can kind of acknowledge how far we've, and there's still such a long way to go because there's still so much toxic, problematic stuff online. Mm. There probably always will be, but at least to be better. But I remember the hashtags, like nothing feels as good as skinny feels. And like, like that whole... like Kate Moss kind of thing that was it was it's so toxic and and I remember too like I mean even when you think about that tea for example and that was that that business and a lot of businesses very similar that were laxative teas did extremely well do you remember and when they even went under? Like they're not a thing now anymore. I don't. Are they? Oh, I think they still are. Actually, Fuck. I think they're probably. I'd assume they're probably rebranded. I'm not sure, probably but they want to be really regulated. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But that's exactly right. And it's interesting though because that was such a huge, booming, like actual type of business because there was a lot of them, and they were based around like taking laxative tea products that you like cleared out your digestive system to, as you said, like in quotation marks, feel lighter or like lose weight because at that time I was for me I had a horrible relationship with weighing myself I weighed myself like twice a day it was like how I valued myself was based on my worth and I tied my complete like when I I will it's like you get stuck in that kind of thought process I will be happy when and it was like I will be happy when I weigh whatever kilos because then my body will be like good enough or Mm. whatever and when I think back to it, it was like if I had like, you know, if you had taken those whatever, had the tea or whatever it might be and you lost weight because you went to the toilet, like that's not – that's just ridiculous. Like it was like that's got nothing to do with your health and how you feel and all those things that are so important about why we should make healthy choices. Like it's important to live a healthy lifestyle. But 
it was so like all of that whole time was so fixated on like the way how flat our tummies look like every like YouTube video was like how I get a flat tummy and like five ways to stop bloating like bloating had this whole and this is something we speak about at Kick quite a lot with bloating like obviously there's uncomfortable bloating to the point where you you know you should definitely it's not um, you shouldn't live with discomfort and if you're extremely bloated all the time you might have an intolerance to food or an allergy or whatever go see a doctor go speak to a health professional not a yeah. YouTuber but then there was also bloating is also a part of life like if we may eat a meal our stomach gets full that's normal and it's like we were trying to uh, like appease to these standards that are just like not possible like for a lot of people having a flat stomach is just not a way genetically that their body can get to and like that's okay Mm. but there was no kind of color around that there was no context it was just like this is what you should take and this is what you should do and this is how you should look and so for Steph and I we both went through for me it was fueled kind of by the modeling industry but then also by social media because before we just got exposed to so many diets on social media yeah and um I found like I developed disordered eating habits like I just I was tracking every single thing that I was eating um and I had read everywhere that you had to have and this is something a part of with the the campaign that you referenced the kick the rules campaign at kick what we're bringing to life is kind of all the rules that were forced upon us and then breaking them down because we we should not feel that we have to live by them because they're toxic and one of them was that you should eat 1200 calories a day and that we we spoke to our our dietitian at kick about that number and that's what dietitians recommend a two to three-year-old children wow but that was this number that everyone was kind of tracking and putting into these apps and it was just for me it was a time when what I was eating and I don't know if you were the same but I was my whole life was controlled by how many calories I could lose um, by exercising like burn off and then how little I could eat and my social circles everything in my life was affected by that because when you are not eating enough and you're over exercising you're hungry all the time so all you're thinking about is food and like it's just the the worst way to live and so Steph went through a really similar experience and then from there we came together with the ebook and then where kicks kind of come to is we we wanted to create a place where people can come because we want to empower them with tools to lead a healthier lifestyle because you know when you move your body and you eat well like you feel really good and you look after your mind and do meditation etc but in a safe place where it's not with like we don't mention any calories in the app all those things that like no you don't have to enter like take a photo of your body before you start kick to then enter like an after photo like that's what a lot of a lot a lot of apps do that before and after photos is so i hate them so much because they make you feel like your before photo wasn't good enough and you you then if you go through like a drastic weight loss chain like you might do a challenge which is like not enough calories and you lose a lot of weight or whatever it might be you then have a photo that kind of society with the way that before and after photos work tells you that your after photo is the best version of you and you then have that for the rest of your life to be like, I'm not good enough unless I look like that photo. Mm, fuck, I didn't even think about those photos. That is actually so It's hectic, so problematic. It? Yeah. It's so problematic because that then also says that the way our bodies look is why we should move our bodies and eat a certain way when it's obviously not the way at all. Like we want to – like we only have one – like our bodies are our vessel, like they're our home. We only have one. We can't change it. And I think when it comes to our health, we take it for granted. Like as we did, we were having like laxative teas, et cetera. <laughs> I didn't care about what it did to my health or I cared about was – them. Yeah, exactly, like what my weight was. Yeah. And we want to look after our health and our bodies because, like, we need to protect our organs. Like, we need to protect our bodies so we can – so 35 is not our halfway point. We, yeah. want, we want 50 to be our halfway yeah. point, right? And we want to feel good and be able to, like, you know, as we get older still do all the things that we love to do because we only get one body and we can't change it. 
But I, it, yeah, it's just, it's so crazy that that was the way. Yeah, it was such a fucking toxic time. Like really, really bad. But it's amazing, you know, you and Steph have put a lot of this into the new book as well. And I love how it was um, divided into like the three pillars essentially. And I want to kind of talk about your relationship with intertwining, you know, body, mind and connection throughout your life and especially heading. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Into your 30s, when you look at each, I can't, it's so funny, I kind of look at them. I don't know why, but I'm like, fuck, marry, kill. Like, <laughs> that kind of relationship. Which one, wait, which one would you kill? No, I would well, yeah. like, <laughs> I don't know why I'm thinking of that. It's so good. But I guess thinking about, like, the one that you, which one do you think you're still, you know, getting to know or you're still figuring out out of those? Oh, I mean, it's a journey with all of them. I think there's never a point. Like, for example, for me, I would say body is something that I have worked so hard on completely. And also I say this too from a very privileged position of being a size eight woman. I, I live in a size eight body, which and, – and I was accepted in quotation marks into the modelling industry, which is what kind of society makes us think is what we should aspire to be. Yeah. So I think I, in me saying that, that I've come – but it doesn't mean that I haven't had struggles with my body image and the way that I look and thinking that I need to change, but I think it's just important to acknowledge that. So for me with my body, I am at a point now where it does not link to my worth in any way whatsoever. I know that I look after my body because I want to live a long time and I want it to be out of function, but aside from that – and I respect it, but aside from that, I don't – what it looks like does not impact the way that I feel. Doesn't mean I don't have bad days like mm. that absolutely happens um, but that's probably the one that I feel the most not towards the end of my journey because it's like a lifelong journey but I feel like I've got the best tools to be able to deal with that when I have those hard days right. mentally with connect and mind I think for me probably I mean probably both they're the two things that, that I'm navigating I think navigating relationships is especially adult friendships like that's something that's it's difficult it's so different to the relationships in school I think too in terms of my role navigating how to be a leader and what type of leader I want to be and Mm. how I want to show up and how I can do the best by my team like my biggest fear in the world is if I let my team down because I feel like Steph and I like we both feel we're so lucky that people want to work for kick and help us on this journey which they're all a part of to do what we want to do with our mission but I don't take that lightly like that's so incredible that people want to take their time in their life to be a part of kick Mm. and so I would never want to let them down by being the wrong leader but then also I know too I've had to learn I can't please everyone and being liked is not as a CEO is not your number one KPI (laughs) so it's like trying to find that balance and I find that really hard um I think too and then in terms of giving feedback I find really hard and that's not just at work but it's also like in um life like people pleasing versus um like truth versus harmony there's a great episode on the imperfects podcast which I love um where they speak about truth and harmony and that's probably the thing I struggle with the most and then I think too um in terms of mine it's just kind of managing like the ups and downs of of life and our emotions and how they feel and that you have days where you just feel like shit and when you're a super motivated person which I'm very lucky to be 
some, when I have the days where I feel like that's why COVID for me was very difficult and I mean it was difficult for everyone but I found it particularly difficult mentally because I'd never felt and I definitely was not diagnosed with depression or anything like that but I never felt so sad and so un like fulfilled and like I didn't even know where I was going mm-hmm. before in my life like there was a point during COVID where I was like I feel like I'm doing such a bad job at my job I need to go back to uni and like find something else that I'm going to do um, and so I think and that for me too I tie a lot of my worth to my work and I think there's also things that can be difficult with that because it's not going to be a great day at work every single day it's just life mm. so when you don't have a lot of other things that you you know tie your worth to that can be difficult. I, I wanted to mention too, there's a thing called situational depression. So it could have very well mm. been that. I had that when I lived in Sydney in 2018. And really? Yeah, it was like I went to the doctor and they're like, it sounds like you have situational depression based on your situation, living here, being isolated interstate, just finding it hard with your relationships and stuff. So that is very much like a thing that could have been, you know, I think we're really hard on ourselves when we talk about our mental health, all of that stuff. And just, it's so amazing, remarkable finding the relationship between the three of them and so how do you find writing a book firstly? Like, because th- this is not your first book together. I've, I, it's so hard. Do you find it oh, hard? Oh, my Were God. Were you good at it English is, in school? No, 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 no. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't very good at English. And it, it is, it was hard. I think the first, um, oh, hang on, I'm going to start that again because I was definitely here. Um, <laughs> it is, it is a difficult process and we did our first book came out in 2017 so it was quite a time in between writing that book was way less words it was also we well Steph and I both thought we had one google doc we didn't even allocate really who was going to write what we just had the google doc and we entered stuff in it and (laughs) it worked out this book was very different we also were really conscious. I think with this book, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves because the first book had been quite successful, and then also we didn't. We would never want to put anything out into the world just because. Like we hold all the work we do to a really high standard, so we wanted to make sure if we we're going to do another book, we had something to say, and it wasn't just books are really permanent too. I, that's like, exactly right. Hearing exactly. Zara and Michelle talk about books on their recent podcast on Mum and Mia. That was on Are You Happy? With yeah, with podcast. Yeah. Yes. The other thing I resonated with was. I think it was when Michelle was saying she put something really personal in the book and she regrets doing that. And I think it's something as well when you're writing, you feel like unless you're going to put something like your deepest, darkest secrets in there, it's not good enough. And I think it's important. Like I thought that was such a great point um, to validate that – you don't need to bear your whole soul you, t- to for the book to be good enough. Yep. But I think there's something about typing words onto a page that makes you feel like you need to bear everything. But you're right. It's like it's going to be the, out there forever. So I like after we finished it, I was like, I'm never going to read this again. Like it's well, actually, do you know what? It's interesting. There's a lot of tools in there that I do go back to that are really helpful because it's a journey and it's we would never write a book that's like a rule book that like this is the rules that we live by and you should live exactly by yeah, these like rules. Textbook. Exactly. It's like whatever works for you, take what you need. But then also I find some of the personal stories I won't reread because I find once they're out I just leave them. them but a lot of the tools are stuff that I'll go and revisit because it's I'm not at a place where I feel confident every day for example it's like I need to go back <laughs> and refresh on the tools and, and do myself. them exactly yeah. but yeah it is it is a very long process and it is tough it, your words being edited is tough because you think that they sounded really good and then they get edited a lot and you're like oh what did I and then trying to work through that like mentally with the confidence but then also knowing like well hang on I'm not a professional editor so 
it's fine. It's such a daunting thing, especially, and obviously the editors are there to help you, but I just remember with mine, there was a huge sense of imposter syndrome. <laughs> and I was good at English in high school, but I was like, fuck, I don't know where all my words are gone, but they're not here right now. I don't know why your book is so good. But it was because it's such a niche topic. Like I think something more broad, like the lessons from your 20s, and it's obviously more personal in a, a wider sense would be yeah really hard (laughs) oh yeah and it's also that it's that like imposter syndrome of thinking and this is what I struggled with a bit when I was writing and I know Steph spoke really openly about this too putting down words and thinking this isn't good enough for people like this isn't valuable enough because I think we put I mean it's with all the work that you do or that we do anyone depending on how much pressure you put on yourself but everything that we were writing I was like this has to be good enough for people to read and like worthy of their time to read it and it's kind of having to really because we the book was about I think it was about 75,000 words I think please Decent. don't quote me on that I, six, between 60 and 80,000 I can't remember <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember anyway getting those last kind of 20,000 words because it kind of flows until it doesn't and then you have to kind of work in and then build out parts that haven't haven't had enough love, etc. Yeah, and it was that was really tough because it was like making sure that everything we put down was worthy of someone's like just for someone to buy the book first of all and then take their time to read it is mm-hmm. like that's so generous of them. And I, I just wanted to make sure that everything that they read was worthwhile. And so that's hard because then you keep deleting everything you write because you're like, oh, this isn't good enough. Yeah, it's hard. It's such a beautiful book though. So you guys should be so proud. Some of the things you were mentioning there kind of, I want to touch, I guess, on comparison because I think how we uh, navigate comparison throughout our life obviously changes, especially, you know, comparing <laughs> comparing our 20s to our 30s. But what are some of the, way, some of the ways in which you've noticed uh, comparison in your life now as a 30-year-old woman, as a CEO in a, um, you know, a female-founded business and being such a prolific public figure so what are the ways in which comparison are popping up for you that you've been aware of and I feel like it's changed in that we compare based on what we care about like at the stage of life that we're at so for me for example when we're talking about that like super toxic like 2013 kind of time for me, I cared about what my body looked like. And so my comparison was completely on what does this person's body look like and I want to look like them. And I don't, I'm not good enough because my body doesn't look like them. It's interesting now as I've kind of navigated through that and it relates to what I was talking about before and the things that I'm navigating is that for me now it's comparing myself to other leaders, mainly other people doing similar things to what we're doing. For me really in work and making sure I'm leading the team because it means so much to me Mm. and comparing myself to what other people do, which often I'll compare myself to someone that's had like 30 years leadership experience and that's hard because I'm never going to be able to level up to that right now. Maybe I'll be able to get there one day but I haven't had – like I'm on a different page in my journey compared to where they are. Um, But I think it is – it's trying to manage it because what I've learnt is that by kind of getting stuck – well, comparison obviously is the thief of joy, which is the most posted quote on Pinterest, but (laughs) it's so true. You're never comparing yourself to – like, for example, when we're talking about the podcast – I now like will compare myself to other podcast hosts that are like amazing and instead of thinking and then thinking I'm not good enough because I'm not where they're at instead of thinking hang on no like let's compare to where we were three years ago and how much you know we've improved and grown Mm. that is really important to do is like have yourself as your and it doesn't some days are like you have really great days and some days hard days so don't compare like your shittest day to your best day because that's not going to help but I feel like when we, when I know that when I've, especially within my leadership, which I've tried to work so hard on, 
when I only compare myself to people so far ahead, it just sucks all the joy out of it and also sucks all the motivation to keep going because then the goal is so seems so far away and it seems like you can just never get there um, and it makes it really unachievable mm. which is just not helpful mentally for anyone what about I mean there's one thing to compare yourself to other people what about now in the space that you're in you've got a huge platform people are obviously I mean you talked about the fucking reviews that you'd be getting like people are reviewing have you noticed other people compa- comparing you to other people have you seen that like uh, yeah yes and I, I find that quite when I read it, it doesn't feel real like I'm like, why would you be comparing? And then I also feel guilty about it because I'd never want. And I think that's the thing with social media and how how I use it. And it's that balance between being real and then showing like the shit side, but then also, you know, the exciting things. I find it really difficult because I am so lucky to live the life that I have and I have a lot of privilege in my life and I completely acknowledge that. So I'm quite uncomfortable about sharing or like if I've had a shit day or something, whatever, exactly hardships because my hardships will be, there's always going to be someone that is going through a hard, like I was watching someone's story the other day and they were complaining about something. I won't say what it is, but I was like, are you joking? Like that's (laughs) like, that's like my, my, like the first five minutes of my day, then I've got to do the whole day. Like this isn't, but this was for them, the hardest thing that had happened to them in the past month. And so for me, I was like, hang on, check myself. Of course, I didn't say anything to them. It was just all in my head. I wasn't yeah. saying anything to anyone else. I can't imagine you sliding in being like, get a grip, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but it is one of those things. It's like our we can't compare our hardships to everyone because for this person, this was very hard for them because that in relation to everything else they'd gone through. It's like we can't devalue that or not validate that. Um, but I think it is trying to find that balance because I want to keep it as real as possible because I don't want anyone to think that like my life is perfect or that everything is easy or that like in quotation marks if you've reached like certain levels of in quotation marks success because you're married or because you've started a business that is in quotation marks successful you're going to be happy because that's absolutely not the case Mm -hmm. it's like I think a lot of people will compare based on what other people have on social media in terms of like achievements like what their job is or like what car they drive which truly does not matter <laughs> absolutely <laughs> at all but like they're the things that we that we sometimes look at yeah but that's not the important things so it is I, I do I'm really I, I find it very difficult because I never want to look like I'm complaining but then I also want to keep it real and never make it seem like like my life is perfect because yeah. it's not and you want to make people feel heard right like that's, that's what you have done like so incredibly <laughs> with all know. of your work yes yes I know <laughs> <laughs> and everyone listening knows that you don't want to feel like, oh, I'm complaining all the time because I've got pain or whatever it is. But it's like well, by you sharing that, someone that has never felt validated in their pain mm. doesn't feel alone anymore and that's really special. So it's yeah. like trying to remember – I find that trying to remember that helps me. But yeah, I have not worked it out. <laughs> hey, we're figuring it out. Um, have you had people ask you now that you're in your 30s about kids? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like the question – More than – for me it was when I got married as soon as you're married it was like okay when are you having kids and it's it's obviously a very loaded question but also it's a really problematic question because I mean for me now I'm not currently trying to have children with my husband you have to have more sex than we have but also like we're not like tracking it's not right now in our where we're at in our life it's not something that we but you don't know until you try exactly if it's gonna but be. that's exactly right yeah. but but if we had have been we could have been trying for the past five years the time that we've been together for 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 what anyone else knows because it's that's the super private thing right 
And so if someone were to ask, if you ask someone and they've actually been trying and they're going through infertility because, or they've just maybe lost a baby through miscarriage, mm-hmm. like 25% of pregnancies end in miscarriage. And then also I think I think it's, it takes on average five months to get pregnant. So that's heaps of, like that's still for people, five months might feel like a really long time for some people. But then there's other people that have to go through 15 rounds of IVF and that is excruciating in terms of the financial strain, mm-hmm. the emotional strain the, on your relationship, on yourself, on your body. Your and routine. if you ask that person when you're having kids, for them, if you've just been through, and this is not me, but for other people, if, if they've been through 16 rounds of IVF and they've now had to mortgage their house because of it and they're struggling and that's all they've ever wanted and they haven't been able to get it, how are they going to answer that question? Because they're like, well, I, want, I, I wanted to have kids five years ago. So I think it's just like you never know what's going on with that question. It is so personal. It's mm. also you don't have to have kids. I think it's like what we are talking about at the start, like – that idea, ideation of sick, like in quotation marks, success that you have to, you know, you move into a house, you get married, you have a child and that's what a successful life is. But that's absolutely not the case. It's yeah. like it is what you want and we just force that upon people and that question is like it infers it, we don't ask do you want to have children? It's like when are you having kids? Which just automatically puts that assumption that, oh, well, you should be. And if you're not, it's a problem. Like what's wrong with you if you don't want to? Ha- I, I know that like – when you when you hear conversations about when people say, oh, I don't want to have kids, like people will go in the comment sections on articles and be like, oh, my God, there must be something wrong with them. Or like women that sometimes choose not to have kids because maybe their career, it's like, oh, well, that's because they're like a really hard woman and they've got nothing going for them or whatever. Like it's like all of those horrible assumptions. Yeah, it, It's just, yeah, it's it's horrible. How often have you had to address it on your socials? I've, I, I feel like I've from, seen a story once. Yeah, I've spoken about it quite a bit, but it's more so from – so because I personally haven't been through an infertil- infertility journey, I didn't know that. And it's like we don't know what we don't know, right? Yeah. But we had through the podcast and just speaking to friends, I'd spoken to so many friends that have been through infertility and then also just listening to content about people that have spoken about it, Lee Campbell. And that was actually I think one of the first times I'd heard someone share their story right. before. And so for me, it then made me realise, hang on, I was asking that question before then. I didn't realise that infertility was even a thing because mm-hmm. I had not heard about it before. So I think for me in having those conversations and learning more about it, I just it's important. Like I have a platform if I can use it because when I do Q&A boxes, without a doubt, 10 people will ask me or more when you're having kids and sometimes I'll use that as a moment to be like, well, it could be an educational moment that then means that person won't ask someone, yeah. you know, that might be going through infertility. What is something, Laura, you're still figuring out? Like we've talked about a lot of things that I guess we're still figuring out in terms of career and whatnot, but this can be so trivial. Like it could be a really lighthearted, silly thing for me. I've only recently figured out how to curl my hair. So like what's something, that, <laughs> yeah, something that you're still figuring out that you just thought, I'm 30, I should know this by now. How to change a tyre, but I don't want to know. <laughs> I don't want to know. Have you been in that situation? Yeah, I call my husband. <laughs> Which I'm, I'm very much all for like owning, like being up, being a strong woman, like independent <laughs> woman, except when it comes to changing my tyre. I'm that. like, I don't want to know how to do this. No, no, that's more than fine. I've got some quick fire questions for you as well. So just thinking back to when was the last time you felt really nervous? Do you get nervous easily? Oh, Yeah. I mean, even before we started the podcast now. Oh, yeah, of course, because I was like, I don't, just, I don't know. I just, <laughs> because be I find if you care about something, you're nervous. Yeah, I think so too. And it is, yeah, a nice um, reflection of diligence. Someone telling mm. you that you're diligent, I think it's so special. Okay, what was the last thing that made you feel proud? Probably this morning when we had a team presentation and I was pre- presenting something to the team and I 
we were in a room where I could see everyone all together at once. And it was just a moment of like, wow, we're so lucky that we have this incredible team working at Kick. Big say, big say. What's a nice compliment? Oh, yeah. What's a nice compliment that has stuck with you? Oh, I'm very dismissive of com- – I'm trying to work – I just – I block them. <laughs> <laughs> so sad. Um, probably this – do you know what? It's funny that you said diligent because this morning Steph and I had a presentation to like a really um, exciting group of people and we got feedback on diligence around the financials of our business, like oh. really knowing them. And I was like, oh, that's a – because I try really hard to, to do that. And Financials are fucking hard. Yeah. <laughs> So that um, that was a compliment that, yeah, that was nice. That's great. Well done. When was the last time you cried? Oh, did I cry this morning? <laughs> I cry a lot. I cry when I'm, no, you know what? When I actually, when I was watching um, the project's tribute to Jock, that was so sad. And Andy's interview, I just was sobbing the whole, it just, it's such a sad loss of life. Yeah. The way in which I think it's been covered has been really good, but it's been, I don't know, it's kind of almost been extra emotional. I guess because it was just writers. MasterChef was like about to premiere the new season. He was meant to be on the project that week. Yeah, really awful. So that's, yeah, totally relatable. What's been a new source of happiness for you? When I convinced Dalton to let our two large golden retrievers, Bill and Ben, to sleep in our bed. Uh, because it's how really... do you do that? You have the worst sleep. I let You're the, back. I convinced him last night. Truly the worst sleep, like the younger one in the middle of the night wakes up and he is flaps that ben his or Ben. Bill? Ben's okay, the ben. one. His tail is always wagging, which is who he's always happy by. I could just hear it whacking on my head and then he slept. He thinks he's like a little lap dog. Yeah. And he he gets up and he brings us stuff. So in the middle of the night I've had last night I had my slipper dropped on my head three times. <laughs> But it was still worth it. It made me happy because they went to bed with us. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so sweet. Do you, to please tell me you've got a king-size bed. Yeah, yeah, we do. Oh we, do we do. But still, it is very squishy. It's yeah. cozy. <laughs> what would be your final words of advice? Because you always share such beautiful, meaningful, purposeful advice for people who are approaching their 30s, currently navigating life um, in this decade. What are some things? And, you know, I know you've only recently turned 30 really but what would you say about this chapter of life oh firstly thank you that's so (laughs) nice I I think I would say to let go of any expectations that you or the world society whatever the media put on you as to what you should be or where you should be when you are 30 because it is different for everyone and it is by no means like achieving things on a list does not make our life any more fulfilled by that age like we have our whole life to do things I feel like there's so much pressure to do it before we're 30 and our expectations change day to day anyway right so 100% just go with the flow embrace it go with the flow (laughs) (laughs) Laura such a pleasure to chat as always thanks for letting me interview thank you (laughs) yay thank you so much um god you're good If you want to follow Laura Henshaw, I've popped her Instagram in the show notes of this episode, as well as the link to purchase her brand new book written with Steph Claire Smith. It's called You Take Care. Thank you so much for listening to Figuring Out 30. I'm Bridget Husswaite, and it's just me here running the podcast. So if you do have time to leave a rating or review and share it with your friends, it really does help me continue this passion project. And don't forget to follow Figuring Out 30 on Instagram at Figuring Out 30 Podcast. This has been created on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. So I'd like to extend my respect to the traditional owners. And I've got to go finish my packing for the NT. So I will catch you next week when I'm back. See ya.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.